Today on Check the Pantry, we're talking garlic. I took a trip to Synergy Gardens where Lori Jenkins runs the Alaska Garlic Project for a look at growing garlic in Alaska. Then I went home and fired up the grill to make flank steak with snail butter and potato salad with garlic oil vinaigrette. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood and it's time to Check the Pantry. talk about garlic breath. Garlic is a complex plant with a boatload of chemical compounds that contribute to its legendary flavor. The main one for our purpose right now is allium. When a garlic clove is damaged, this compound is transformed into allicin, which is responsible for the characteristic garlic smell. Allicin is potent stuff, oily and sticky. It tends to linger if it's not thoroughly cleaned. You might think a quick brush of your teeth after dinner should take care of any lingering problems. You would be wrong. You shouldn't brush your teeth right after eating anyway because there's a protective film over your teeth that is swallowed with your meal and takes a bit of time to regenerate. But brushing won't help with garlic breath because garlic breath originates in your liver. Allicin is a sulfur-containing compound, and when it hits the liver along with the rest of the chemical soup in your pesto ravioli, it's broken apart and used to create all manner of compounds. Some are very useful. Some have potential medical properties, and one, allyl methyl sulfide, is very stinky. Your body also can't do anything with it, so it pushes it into the blood to get rid of it. It escapes from the pores in your skin and is exhaled from the lungs. All the brushing and scrubbing in the world won't make it go away. British doctors in the 30s reported giving garlic soup through a feeding tube, bypassing the mouth entirely. Several hours later, the patient developed garlic breath. Nursing mothers who have consumed large quantities of garlic say that not only does their baby seem a bit less hungry after their garlic feast, but the baby develops a distinct garlic odor as well. Traditionally, parsley is supposed to help alleviate garlic breath, and it is a common ingredient in many garlic-based dishes. Researchers at The Ohio State University brought the scientific method to bear on the topic and discovered that mint, apples, milk, and lettuce were all effective at reducing the garlic funk as long as they're eaten with the garlic. So have your pesto ravioli with a salad and a slice of apple tart, and maybe your beloved will let you kiss them tomorrow. So how many how many different varieties of garlic do you grow? Uh, I had 13, and I've whittled it down to 12. That's not much of a whittle. There is this early Shen variety that I had. It was came in so early. But after seven years, it stopped making clove. It was making one large bulb. Um, in my research, I found sometimes the genetics change and go back 
like as if it was in the wild. So I quit growing Shen because it had no, no more cloves. Are you growing all this from seed yourself or how did you, where'd your original plants come from? I originally ordered plants from the lower 48. There are three companies that I ordered garlic seed from. It's called garlic seed, but you're buying a high quality bulb and dividing, dividing it and planting each clove. We're digging Killarney Red. It's a hard neck and it has some, uh, a blushing reddish color to the full heads. We had a really nice root system on the garlic. You know, I could tell it was ready because the bottom four to six green leaves start to brown and dry out. And okay. they're not drying for lack of water, they're drying from age because each green blade is like attached to a papery part of the garlic that surrounds each clove. So right now they have, they could be getting sunburned but the sun is, it's a little overcast, so I wasn't too worried about it. My Andre and Rob have pulled most of the topsoil off and um, they're ready to go into the shop. So when were these planted? They were planted October 15th. There you go. And 2018. Okay, so a little nine months, 10 months, something like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, they're going to overwinter. Right. So we planted garlic in well-fertilized soil, in soil that hadn't grown garlic the year before. I'm very careful to rotate garlic crops. You know, like I wouldn't have onions here and then grow garlic. Right. Because onions are in the same family. Actually, I'm trying to create a sugar snap pea and garlic rotation. And that's, that's really good soil management. Is that is that because the peas bring up nitrogen? Yes. And it's also because... Pea, I love growing sugar snap peas, and there's an awesome cash crop for the farm. So garlic, peas, carrots, cucumbers, tomatoes, and yeah, yeah. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Uh, is this straw like the straw mulch? Is that the original mulch from last year, or do you replace it, or what do you do? Well, in Homer, I'm a little bit challenged because the springs are slow, and it's hard to get the soil to warm up and to dry out. So here, the garlic won't sprout in the spring like it does in other places that I've grown garlic. So I'll take the hay mulch that I put on at planting time, which I mulch a good 10 to 12 inches. I mulch very thick here. I'm gonna remove that hay mulch as soon as it's thawed. So the soil's going to warm up. And then the garlic starts sprouting and I get to look and see, you know, did I have any rot issues? You know, what's going on? I, I'm checking the weather, how much rain, how much more snow are we getting? And then once the garlic starts to emerge and I can see that I have a solid crop, I'm actually gonna take that hay and put it back on as a weed deterrent. I've thought of not removing the hay and seeing if the garlic will sprout, but I, on my trials, I found there was some rot going on and I don't want that. Right. Um, so I'm putting the hay back on. I've tried not putting the hay back on and weeding by hand, but that's another labor of love, not needed. <laughs> so the hay is a great environment for earthworms and it keeps the soil from drying out. So I, I get to water less. Okay. And um, so I'm putting the hay back on. But you can see here, Jeff, I did have some weeds come up anyway. Yeah, chickweed. Um, but the, down this lower part of the garden, um, I had more chickweed pressure. This. Um, the chickweed came up a little later in these hard necks up here. You mulch as soon as you plant or do you wait a little bit? Part of the planting process is we're putting out finished compost. We're tilling it in. 
I'm making our rows, putting our four rows per bed, and then I'm sprinkling an amendment mix, which is kind of specific for our soils and specific for garlic. And then I'm planting the garlic right in those furrows with the powdered amendments. I'm covering it with soil, and then we're mulching. Okay. Because I could wait, and what if there's a freak snow in October 15th, like when I planted? Or those freak snows, you know, are going to come right around um, the end of October. So we'll try to plant and mulch and make sure that um, I get that done. How do you judge uh, when you're going to plant? Are you trying to just get it like as, as close to first frost as possible? Or what's your what's your schedule there? I plant garlic the, from the last week of September and the first three weeks of October. I actually go by the almanac or by a bi- biodynamic calendar, and I look for days that are good for planting and good for root days. And I can do that in advance. You know, those dates are already prescribed, and I'll plan my work crews to come, let's say, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and whatever the calendar says. And then I look and see... How bad are the rains? I have planted garlic in drizzly, mizzle weather, I call it. But, you know, it's real. It's just not fun to plant when it's, you know, raining and, you know, 38 degrees. (laughs) And But, you know, I've been known to to do that, to get it in the ground before uh, before the end of October. I do plant in the tunnels. So I wait for the very last week of October to plant in the tunnels because there's no snow in there. Right. So I'm planting all my outside garlic end of September, early October. I've tried planting it in mid-September, but I'm not sure my garlic is cured enough. So I really want the garlic to be cured, and then I pop apart the bulbs, and we just plant each clove. And so are you planting, like, are some of those, are some of those cloves that we, were, that we just saw in the harvest room, are some of those destined to be planted out here? Or oh, do you, yes. Or do you start with new cloves every year? Oh, no, I'll grade out. I've been planting my own seed for the last six years, and the only time I'll buy garlic from another garlic source is when I want to introduce a new strain. But I've been climatizing Alaskan garlic for the last six years, and I feel like it's been wildly successful because I've been able to expand my crops, and I get people who see me every year, and they said, oh, my garlic's up, it's doing great, but I want to try another variety, or they want this or that. So I have 12 varieties, six hard necks and six soft necks. I'm interested in trying a few more varieties. There's over 200, Jeff. Oh, wow. There's so many varieties of garlic. And of course, some are going to do better in a northern Alaskan climate than others. And those are the ones I picked first. Right. But now that I've been doing this and I want to try some new purple varieties or new Italian varieties or new Greek varieties. So what is it, what do you look for exactly when you're, like, are you looking while you're, while you're harvesting uh, for the bulbs that you're going to save to, to plant next year? What are your criteria for deciding, like, I'm going to take this bulb as opposed to this bulb? Size and shape. Okay. You know, I want the biggest and the best for replanting, and hopefully that will perpetuate those same genetics. Um, a big garlic bulb has more garlic. I don't find the flavor any different from a little bulb to a big bulb, but of course you get more garlic with right. a big bulb. Are the cloves then, is it, is it a clone or does the garlic ever go to seed and interbreed or how does... It can, if I let it. That hard neck scape is its bloom stalk, bloom okay. shoot. It's a lot like a little chive blossom, which right. I know most of us are familiar with. And inside a little chive blossom, there'll be a teeny little black seed. Mm -hmm. That garlic, oh, I should show you, there's some interesting things 
There can be a garlic that has what I call boobles in its neck. Um, those are like little pearl garlics. You could plant those and perhaps in five to six years get a full bulb. Okay. If I were to let the scape bloom and make a beautiful allium flower like the chai flower and get those little seed things, it's going to be a little bit bigger seed than the chive seed. Um, that too could take four to six years of planting before I get a full bulb. So for you know my purposes being a market gardener, I'm just going to plant the clove right. and get a big garlic. If I was a garlic breeder, I would do things very different. Uh -huh. But I'm not a garlic breeder. Uh, my intention is to grow um, delicious bulbs and share seed with other gardeners. I'm not concentrating on breeding. What's your spacing on these? I have a standard 30-inch bed, and I'm going to plant four rows in a 30-inch bed. Okay. And in and the rows are about um, eight inches apart, and each garlic is six inches apart. Okay. And I want the garlic to have room to, to make the biggest and the best. Oh, and I'm going to give a How to Grow Great Garlic workshop here at the farm September 15th. Oh, all right. It'll be my third time offering this workshop. Um, so... You know, but planting garlic is very different than eating it. <laughs> or cooking it. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, are there are there certain varieties that you that you grow outside and certain varieties that you grow inside, I'm assuming? Well, I'm, I'm growing all my varieties outside. Okay. As well as in a tunnel. Okay. So I, the seed I sell, I want people to get the outside garlic because not everyone's going to have a tunnel environment when they get to their home place or to their garden. Right. So all of the seed is... Um, the outside garlic. Okay. Um, the early tunnel harvest, I pretty much um, is for culinary use. And so, how many how many total garlic fields do you have? I had garlic in um, a tunnel, and I have garlic in this field right now. Next, this fall, I'll be planting garlic in. Uh, what I call our gratitude garden, and I'll be planting garlic in our new serenity garden, All we right. call it. Mm -hmm. The serenity garden has never had garlic before. Okay. Um, so I've been amending the soil, trying to bring up the pH. Um, because oh, yeah. What, what kind of soil does garlic like? Garlic is considered a heavy feeder. Okay. So it wants a neutral pH, optimal 6.8. Oh, wow. Which is not easy to get to. Um, <laughs> Around here? Yeah. So in my, in my amendment mix, I add lime. Yeah. To me, it takes uh, soil about seven years to get nice seasoned soil. But I don't have seven years in some of my new fields. Right. So I'm going to amend the soil and um, amend the soil twice when my first spring crop, and then I amend it again when I'm planting garlic in the fall. Okay. And hence, using cover crops is helpful. Um, my amendment mix is going to have lime and fish meal and blood meal and gypsum and langbanite, and I make a, a nice little recipe, you know, but that's based on our soil tests and knowing that garlic is a heavy feeder and likes nitrogen when planted. And that's why you said you, you grow the peas, because they, uh, mm -hmm. cause they, they fix nitrogen. This whole field last year was in sugar snap peas okay. down here where the garlic was. And this part, I actually did my brassicas and had all my cauliflowers and broccolis up in here. Uh -huh. And that's another crop I often rotate with. If only we were so lucky that chickweed would fix nitrogen. So today, we're going to be celebrating garlic. 
by making a couple of classic garlic condiments. Sauces, condiments, call them whatever you want. It's funny, I was thinking about this while I was prepping to record this, and, and I realized that a lot of the, uh, the recipes, a lot of the cooking demos I've done on the, the show for the summer, there have been a lot of condiments. You know, the chili oil, you could almost call the pickled mustard greens a condiment. Well, we did dressings. So sauces, condiments, it's all been sauces and condiments. And it didn't hit me until today, you know, I was like, wow, there's a lot of condiments. But in a certain way, like this is the summer season and summer is kind of the season of condiments. Or I'm not going to sit around making some big heavy stew or some kind of big production dish. Like for the most part, oh, I've got some fresh salmon or I've got some fresh whatever. Or I want to throw something on the grill. What am I going to do with it? You know, and you wind up, I, or at least I do, I wind up cooking stuff, cooking things real simply. And a lot of the complexity comes from the condiment or the sauce, you know, that goes with it. And a, a lot of summer dishes are like that. So today we're making a couple of condiments that are going to feature garlic. One, which I'm going to get to in a second, is a classic compound butter called snail butter. No snails will be harmed in the making of this butter. Uh, and then the other thing I'm going to make is a really classic, simple roasted garlic oil. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to grill. I'm going to fire up the grill. We're going to talk about grilling because I can't let I can't let summertime go by without doing a show where I at least grill something, even if the show is not about fire itself. Uh, I got a flank steak. I'm going to grill a flank steak, and I'm going to put this snail butter on the flank steak alongside the flank steak. I'm going to also grill some potatoes and I'm going to serve the, I'm going to make a potato salad uh, with this roasted garlic oil, throw some other stuff in there too. I don't know what all is going to go in there yet. I'm kind of making it up as I go along, as I often do in the summer and as I often do with these grilled potato salads because I really like them, especially if you're only cooking like one thing on the grill, they're really nice. Because, you know, you got to fire up the grill anyway. Your charcoal is going to be hot for, you know, at least an hour. So you might as well cook something, even if your main course is only going to be, you know, a steak or something that only takes 15 minutes to cook. Coals are still going to be hot, so you might as well cook something else. And what I frequently cook is a bunch of potatoes, and then I'll make a potato salad out of it. So that's what we're doing today. And this periodic noise that you hear is me prepping garlic. And I am a smasher. Take the garlic clove whole, unpeeled, and I smash it with the flat side of my knife. And that mushes the garlic up just enough to where it very easily comes out of its paper covering. And the nice thing about doing it this way is that now they're like halfway to being uh, minced. But I'm not mincing them. I'm just smashing them and throwing them right into a pan, and this is regular supermarket garlic. I have two kinds of garlic here. One is I have some beautiful, incredibly fresh, aromatic, lovely, from Lori Jenkins at Synergy Farm, and that is going to go into my snail butter because that takes raw garlic. And raw garlic, if you have a choice in the dish that the garlic is going to stay raw, use the nice stuff. And in this case, this will cook for like 45 minutes or so, so I'm, totally okay with using the uh, supermarket garlic for this. And it takes a lot of it too, so it's cheaper. I know a lot of cooking shows like to pretend that cost is never an issue. We don't pretend that on this show. Supermarket gar garlic is cheaper and it works great and it works fine in snail butter. It's just supermarket garlic is gonna be hotter and it's not gonna have quite that 
round three-dimensional flavor that the really nice stuff has. And that's something I always really strive for in my cooking is a three-dimensional flavor. You know, you want, you want there to be sort of waves and layers of taste when you eat it. Personally, I think that that's what satisfies me with a meal more than anything else, you know. So I've got my probably four or five heads, whole heads of garlic, so quite a bit. You almost can't really use enough garlic in this recipe. There are a lot of options for the fat um, that you could use. Uh, garlic, or using butter in this is absolutely sensational. And it's a, it's a nice way, like if you're making clarified butter, if you throw a bunch of garlic in there while you're, while you're cooking it, and you'll, you'll wind up with like this intense garlic ghee, basically. It's amazing. It's the greatest thing to cook mussels in ever. But I'm just gonna use grapeseed oil today because I don't wanna use butter. And the reason I'm not using butter today is because I'm using butter in my snail butter. So I'm going to turn my attention to my snail butter now. I have already peeled three full heads of beautiful Synergy Gardens garlic. They're sitting in my mortar and pestle. The reason that it's called snail butter is very simply that it is the traditional topping for escargot. There are a lot of different recipes for it. Different ingredients depending on where you look, but the constants always, 100% of the time, snail butter will always contain a huge amount of garlic and a huge amount of parsley. And those are the two that are immutable. Like you can't call it snail butter unless it has a lot of garlic and a lot of parsley. So that's what we have here. Beyond that, I've seen recipes where that have capers. Um, I have seen recipes that do contain lemon juice. I'm not gonna use it. Lemon juice, incidentally, if you use only parsley and you use a bunch of lemon juice, then you get the very closely related hotel butter. And it's called that because the official French name is maitre d'hotel butter or maitre d' butter. But in restaurants, it always gets called hotel butter. I am also going to use, because one nice thing about uh, using Members of the allium family, of which garlic is one, and obviously onions, is uh, using multiple of them because they all have slightly different but related flavors. And if you use multiple of them in the same arena, then that's another way that you can get to that three-dimensional kind of flavor. So I have put three, well, two and a half, full heads of garlic in here. I also have a scallion, one scallion, to give it a slightly other dimension. And I also cut up a couple of garlic scapes and I'll be using that in here too. So the first thing we gotta do, I got it all in the mortar and pestle. Again, you can use a blender or whatever. The texture is gonna be a little nicer in a, in a mortar, but whatever, use what you got. And I've added a little bit of salt. So I'm gonna puree this down to a pretty good paste before I add the parsley because it's more important for this dish that the garlic be really well pureed than the parsley be really well pureed. Oh, it smells so good. So I'm gonna add a little more salt. So now I'm chopping parsley. I want it to be fairly finely minced before it goes in there because it's not really gonna get super ground down past this. So I want it to be basically where it needs to be. Okay, pretty happy with that. Now this particular mixture up to this point, this can actually be a topping for things 
all on its own. It depends on where you are. Variously, I've heard it a, called a persiad, and I believe it's also called a, a hashi. Mm. Sensational on fish. Oh man, that's some spicy garlic. Better to do this with room temperature butter, but if you are not a smart guy like me, and didn't take your butter out long before, you can also take out some of your aggressions with a rolling pin. A few sturdy wax. And your butter will be beautifully malleable and ready to work. So we'll just start with a little bit in here. Pound it in. So I'm using two sticks of butter to what was probably three quarters of a cup or so of uh, parsley and my two and a half, three, fairly not very large heads of garlic. And I'm just gonna add the butter just a little bit at a time. And compound butters, I feel like we don't love them enough here. You can literally do, you can put just about anything in a compound butter and they make portable sauce, you know, like I could stick this in my fridge or in my fridge and it would last for a while. I could stick it in my freezer and it would last for months. Typically the way that they're shaped is into a log. And so you would just have to cut off a couple of pats of this stuff and serve it on whatever you're serving it with that night. It's great on fish. Well, on grilled vegetables, it's terrific. On any kind of vegetable, really. Sauteed, roasted vegetables, it's great. Grilled meat. There's almost nothing that you can't make a compound butter for, you know? And you can put anything in them. You can put uh, tomato paste. You can put miso. You can put mushrooms of various types. You can put whatever herbs you want, whatever spices you want. I mean, they're basically completely free to do whatever you'd like. Fish sauce, Worcestershire sauce. If it goes with butter, it goes in a compound butter and they're so easy to make. Like this is almost done now and I have, I, ha I now have a sauce that I can use for just about anything. There's not much that I would not use this for. And my roasted garlic oil is coming along. It usually, it's gonna take 45 minutes to an hour. And then once it's done, I'll strain it out. It'll be ready to use for anything. But today it's going in potato salad. So, snail butter, garlic oil. Next stop, lighten the grill. Did you try scapes this season? I did not have any, no. I was a derelict of duty. Scapes are milder than garlic. Right. But yet they have that same familiar, wonderful garlic flavor. Um, and they're not as easy to roast like a bulb. So I've been playing with black garlic, pickled garlic, pickled scapes, and... How's your black garlic coming? I've never done that, because I don't have a crock pot, and that's kind of the only way it's really practical to do it, I've, I understand, is... I use a rice cooker. Yeah, I don't have a rice cooker either. Yeah, I had a friend bring me a, a rice cooker. A rice cooker has to have a low, a warm setting yeah. to, to work. And it takes what? Three weeks, two yeah, weeks, yeah, two weeks. to three weeks, and s depends on your garlic. If um, it could dry out and get hard as a rock, or it can be soft and moist, so oh. uh, there's a lot of variables. Is there? How, what are you? What are you looking for when you look for a variety to do it? Then perfect shape, and uniformity in your rice cooker. Mm -hmm. You know, I've used. I have so many misshapen ones or uh, individual cloves that fall off. That doesn't work. Oh, you can't use those. Um, they dry in the fermentation black garlic process differently huh. based on their size. So I'm going to, um, actually this Killarney variety might be good because they're pretty uniform and um, 
I could try those in a, so in what a rice is, cooker. What is your process? Do you just put them in? Is there, do you put water in, in no, at all? You no. just put the garlic in, turn yes. it on and walk away? You know how garlic you cut into a clove and it's juicy? Yeah. It's got that, so there's already moisture inside of it. Uh -huh. And so you're going to, it ferments itself. Uh -huh. And then similar to roasting, you have to peel it. At the um, beginning or at the end? At the end. Oh, okay. And so that paper or the, the dried leaves around the garlic is okay. going to protect it. It doesn't get salt or anything? No. Because the garlic itself must be sort of antibacterial enough to yes. stave off any any boogeymen before they... Garlic is very medicinal. I haven't tried it yet. I, I, I want to try it this year to see if I can get some going. I'll plant some and see if, see if my asparagus comes back next year and see if my garlic comes back next year. Well, those two crops <laughs> together, a little garlic with your fresh asparagus yeah. is delicious. And you see, that's another thing. People think garlic, um, because it's planted in the fall, a lot of gardeners are tired, done. They're just ready to uh, start eating their other foods. But you have to have this you know, renewed energy to plant garlic in the fall right. to get your soil ready. You know, so it, it's it's a heavy feeder and it needs its own attention. Yeah, I'm going to cut you a scape. Uh, here's an escape scape. Um, oh, look at that. So it's like a little pigtail. They, like, I keep telling you how curious they curl. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, there might be a few Ooh. more we, we missed. There's one poking Man. up. There's another. Yeah, did you? Here. I just I just sniffed it. I'm going to take a little nibble here in a second. Mmm. Woo! Isn't that, and it's so good. Oh, yeah. That's intense. But it's not as intense as a raw clove. No, it's not. It's definitely not. You don't need to chase it with it's, some cheese. It's just this. Well, I mean, do you but, have any? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we got to go in there. Here, let me cut you some more. Watch this fork. I'll cut a few more of these um, escape scapes. Jeff, I, I threw two garlic scape festivals thinking... I knew I was going to have thousands of scapes. Most people had never heard of them, yeah. and they didn't know how to cook with them. So I was like, oh, I'll just help this community learn what garlic scapes are. Mm -hmm. And I realized it's very obscure. Um, and not everyone is in love with garlic scapes like I am. <laughs> but now that people have eaten them and tasted them, and I give free tastes at the farmer's market booth mm -hmm. of little nibbles of garlic, um, garlic scapes, People have caught on, and it's now, now I can sell all the scapes I grow. Well, there you go. And it's just... Um, you have to create a market where there was none before. Yeah, and the, and the chefs know what these are at restaurants, and scapes I've found keep in a cooler or in the refrigerator like three months. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, I tell people you should stock up, but um, people have to try them first and chop and cook them. Here I see another scape. We're gonna, I'm going to send you home with some scapes for sure. Oh, I was going to go in the house. I had been collecting garlic presses. Oh. And I'm looking for the best garlic press on the market. You know what? I quit using them. I, I much prefer Now I just smash. I smash and chop. Yeah. That's what I do. I don't mess around with anything else anymore. Pressed garlic releases the flavor. And it works great with like with a massage kale salad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you press it or flatten it, chop it with a knife, that'd be good. That's what I do. And most of my sauces. I hate, I hate clean garlic presses. Yes. <laughs> yes, I hear you. That's a that's a real thing. Um, get a good press that you can clean. And my garlic is so large, most of them don't fit in a pr garlic press. Oh yeah, but yeah. The nice thing about the smash method too is you don't have to peel the cloves. You can just smash them, and then the mm -hmm. clove or the the paper comes right off. 
Harvesting, <laughs> I think harvesting is in our DNA. People love digging potatoes, pulling up beets. You know, I, that's one of the things about pulling up garlic. It's like, you know, harvesting potatoes. And you never know what size it's going to be until you get it out of the ground. And all of these racks are pretty much going to be filled up with garlic today. This is, this is from the tunnels. Uh, we've been processed already. So all this has to be dried. Yeah, so we cure it. Okay. Um, one of the reasons garlic stores so long is because of good curing methods. Okay. We're having two fans. We're even running a dehumidifier to remove the moisture. Okay. We have been known in August to use the heater to keep it at, you know, 62 degrees, 65 degrees with air circulation uh -huh. and a dehumidifier going. People can do this at home. I used to use my clothes drying rack for ease of having a rack, and I'd tie bundles of garlic and just let it hang upside down on a clothes drying rack out of the sun in a warm place with good circulation. So there's lots of options. But of course, our rack is now what I call the Mac Daddy of garlic drying racks. Yeah, this thing is what, like probably 12, what is that, 12 maybe tiers high? Yeah, 10. Just lay it on good racks with chicken wire so circulation can come out of the top and the bottom and the sides. And that saves me, who does now. Let me see, I did 10,000 garlic bulbs last year. Whoa! My goal this year is going to be closer to 14,000. So, so how long do they sit on these racks? Two weeks is optimal, but I've been known since I do have a heater and fans to go 10 days. Um, I cure it well so that when people get garlic and buy garlic, it'll store in their kitchens. Uh -huh. The soft necks, I have two main strains, but 13 varieties of garlic. The main strains are the hard neck and the soft neck. Uh -huh. And the soft necks are like what you're gonna purchase in a grocery store, and they are famous for long storage. Okay. Uh, 10 to 12 months okay. before they dry out. But the gourmet hard neck cloves, let me see, they have shorter storage lengths, five to six months, but they've been known here to last eight to 10 months. So there's a lot of variables, but okay. the hard neck uh, are supposedly not your good storage garlic. Gotcha. And so are the hard necks, is the, the, the distinguishing feature that they are, their necks are hard and the soft necks are soft? The hard necks make the famous curly curious scape, which has become um, a desired uh, creamy garlic thing you don't have to peel. Right. I just sold, oh, about 7,000 scapes at the market and oh, wow. to chefs in town. So you're getting this green scape. It's curious and curly, and you just kind of chop it like chives, but it's solid and garlicky. Okay. I and love then, those things. So are soft necks the ones that get braided? Yes. Because their necks are soft? Yes. All of the books said you can't grow soft necks in Alaska. Oh, really? But Homer's the banana belt of Alaska, and... I have tunnels, uh -huh. um, but I've been growing the soft necks outside and in a tunnel to do trials. And I'm finding uh, that the soft necks perform well outside. Not great, but almost as good as in the tunnels. All you do is basically yank them out of the ground and lay them in here. And then what do you do, cut the tops off or do you leave the tops on until they're fully dried? All right, so once they're cured, every root has to be cut off. So I have scissors and pruners, and you have to be careful not to cut the shoulders of your garlic. So I'm 
by hand, we go through every garlic and we cut the roots off. And of course, the hard necks have these hard tops. Okay. So after you remove the root, you're cutting the, the top off. Okay. And so now I have this beautiful hard neck garlic ready to sell. And it's been cured. And um, I bring them to market. Now, the soft necks, I leave the tops on and they get braided. Okay. They get sorted and braided because I'm going to sort for uh, the highest quality to sell for seed garlic. Okay. And I'm going to sort the littles. And then they have the big premium, the large, the medium, and the small. So they'll be graded. And um, I'll braid the nice looking ones and sell people braids. And then I sell people individual garlics as well. Okay. And then I have my bargain bin um, of the littles or the misshapen ones or the things that just, you know, they're the bargain bar. So you braid them after these are because these are all cured, right? Yes. Okay. So you braid them after you cure them and not mm -hmm. before. Right. I braid a little bit sooner and the, the necks um, continue to dry. And so... Um, so that as as they dry, the necks will dr shrink a lot like hay, right. you know, and then it gets um, brittle uh -huh. and it falls apart. So I'm holding here uh, one of my $120 braids, which has, um, I think, 35 garlics on it. And they were large premium Nutka Rose variety. When you when you go to use that, you just cut off a bulb when you need it. Well, what's fun, it's like, let's say a braid is hanging in your kitchen and you need a, a bulb, you can pluck it off of your braid and it, it feels like you're harvesting in your own kitchen. Right. Which I think is, is, is a thrill in the winter because yeah. you can't harvest much unless you're growing. Well, plus they, look plus they look really cool hanging in, I'm sure, you know, hanging in the kitchen that would look really cool. Yeah. I would imagine it, it smells like garlic too. Yes. And also, I mean, you probably don't have any vampire problems. Oh no, not, not on this farm. <laughs> <laughs> um, not even in my dreams. <laughs> All right, that was the sound of me filling my chimney starter so that I can light this grill. I don't see the point in gas grills, honestly. The only advantage to them is that they're fast. They're faster to turn on, basically. And honestly, once you get the hang of firing up a charcoal grill, which is really easy, especially if you have a chimney starter, you'll never mess with a gas grill again. Because really, a gas grill is just, it's a stove, except it's outside and it's more expensive. We all know this. I happen to be using lump, hardwood lump charcoal. That's usually what I wind up using. It's moderately easier to light. It burns quicker. Um, it burns out faster. I think it technically it burns out a little hotter. But I use briquettes too. Like I'm not I'm not insanely particular about about what I use. And I, I started in a chimney starter. For the if you don't know what a chimney starter is, it's basically a piece of stovepipe with some holes cut in the bottom and a little shelf inside for the charcoal to sit on top of. Put newspaper in the bottom, fire it off with a lighter, and it pretty much starts. As long as you use enough newspaper, it starts every time. That's the sound of chimney starter starting. And so in probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops, this whole chimney full of coals will be nice and lit and glowing. I can dump it out, throw the grate on top of it, and uh, start thinking about cooking. And I'm just using, this is a regular plain old 22 inch kettle grill. I've had it for, I don't know, 17 years, 
it's all beat up and the legs are all bent, the wheels fell off. Uh, the bottom, <laughs> the bottom air ports don't really close anymore. They're kind of rusted, but the top ones do, and they're the only ones that really matter. Had multiple grates, but it's still kicking. I think about getting a new one, and then I look at the price, and I'm like, man, this, I can get another year out of this one, and every year I get another year out of it. So, so I'll just let that let those coals catch all the way, dump them out into the bottom, put the cooking grate on top, and then I'll throw the potatoes on. I'm gonna leave the top vents wide open so that I get nice, nice heat through there. And I'll let the potatoes cook. Uh, I'm gonna put a little oil on the potatoes. I'll oil and salt the potatoes. And if any of them are real big, I, you do need to make sure they're all about the same size. So if any of them are real big, I'll just cut them in half. Let those guys cook for a while. You know, probably I'll, I'll give them at least 40 minutes, I think, sort of baking in the warm, slightly smoky atmosphere of, of the kettle grill. Once they're pretty close to done, then I'll come out and start cooking the steak. So my potatoes are now done. It's been right about 40 minutes. I got them on the cool side of the grill. I, always, I pretty much always, unless I'm doing a lot of hot cooking, I have a cool side and a warm side. I pile all the coals up on one side. And for stuff like the potatoes that take a long time, I cook them on the cool side. And I have got my flank steak that I've salted. I can now not keep my hand over the top of the coals more than a couple of inches away for more than a couple seconds. So my grill is nice and hot. Some areas of the grill are hot, some are cool. If whatever you're cooking starts cooking too fast, move it over to the cool side. If it's cooking too slow, put it directly over the coals. I pretty much always am gonna start my steaks. And this is, uh, what I got today is I got a flank steak. This is about a little over a two pound flank steak. And flank is basically my favorite cut to grill because one flank is pretty good for Generally, depending on appetite, three to four people, instead of being a huge chunk of meat, you can slice it up into little things. People can eat what they want. Sometimes I feel like with big steaks, people without big appetites wind up having a lot of leftovers. And particularly if it's like a cookout or something, you know, it's nicer to have a big pile of uh, chopped up flank steak than half eaten ribeye from some person <laughs> that's not you. I do skirt sometimes, I like skirt. Um, Tri-tip's really nice. I like them because they're pretty simple. They're not expensive as far as steaks go. You know, they're not like $12 a pound like or more, which, you know, your New York strips and ribeyes and all those are gonna start at and generally go quite a bit from there. This I think was like five bucks a pound, so. And they taste good. Here we go. I'm, I'm a really simple, I don't marinate or do anything like that. All that's happened is it's been salted for eh, a couple hours now, I guess. Here it goes. These are very simple to cook. The business that you can't, you shouldn't flip your steak often has been more or less thoroughly debunked at this point by very smart food science-y people. I don't know if the great Kenji Lopez-Alt was the one who first officially demonstrated that flipping steaks repeatedly is the best way to cook them. But if he wasn't the first, then he was definitely one of the popularizers of this method. Essentially, the idea is that it's easier to, to cook a steak correctly if you flip it repeatedly because you're not overcooking. You're not holding one side over the heat long enough to overcook very deeply. One disadvantage is that, I mean, I don't think it's a disadvantage. I don't think it matters at all. 
But some people are really into grill marks and this method doesn't, doesn't leave nice grill marks. But what it actually does is have a much more thorough, thoroughly caramelized Maillardy surface. So I'm just, I'm flipping every, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, really. It's pretty much how I do it these days. I generally, I don't really mess around with like sous vide and all that for steaks. I'm, I'm fairly, if I'm gonna cook a steak, mostly I just want something real simple. I don't really wanna devote six hours to making a steak. I mean, I could see it, you know, if it's like a really, really nice piece of like dry aged stuff or if you're in a restaurant situation or you have really, you know, if you have to do a lot of different donenesses, it's, it's handy. You can hit your temps a lot more exact. But for the most part, I'm pretty, I'm a simple man when it comes to cooking meat over fire. Do it hot, do it fast, do it medium rare. Or if it's like a filet, do it rare. Flank, flank's best. You really don't want to go past medium, medium rare with it. And I do not have my meat thermometer because I'm a bad person today. I could run and go get it, but I'm not going to because I've done this enough that I'll be able to get pretty close on the temp. And so all I'm gonna do with this is after I pull it off, I'm gonna let it rest and uh, for, you know, 10 minutes or so. And then I'm gonna slice it up against the grain. That's the only trick with these, these tougher, more flavorful uh, steaks like skirt and flank is that you wanna make sure you cut it against the grain. Otherwise it can be a little chewy. I'm gonna pile it up on a plate with a bunch of compound butter on it. And I'm gonna make my potato salad, which is a, going to be a very simple potato salad. It's gonna be, I got a bunch of herbs, so I got some mint, some thyme, some parsley, uh, some dill, just basically went in the garden, grabbed a bunch of herbs. A Couple of garlic scapes from Lori. I grabbed one leek and I threw it on the grill with the potatoes, but it was a real small one, so it's not really gonna do a lot, but whatever, it'll be fun. I made a really simple vinaigrette with that garlic oil that I made earlier and a big heaping tablespoon of Dijon and uh, a little splash of rice vinegar just to give it something to emulsify with. And I just tasted it and it's delicious. I'm gonna cube up my potatoes, soak them in that dressing. So it'll be a nice warm potato salad. It'll also be delicious tomorrow. Plop a huge, dollop of snail butter on top of these steaks and we'll pretty much call it good. Really simple weeknight, messing around, summertime, garlic heavy dinner. My breath is gonna smell so good tomorrow. Well, what did I do? I just processed chicken oh. and I roasted a bird with lots of whole cloves of garlic, and it just was so good. Just well, there is a so there is a classic recipe. There. I can't. I think it's an Italian recipe. It is literally the name of it is chicken with forty cloves of garlic. Yes, I and can see that. That's pretty much what it is. That would be great. I've been infusing garlic in honey, and that is the best throat soother I've ever I've ever tried. Huh. Um, for a winter cough, a winter sore throat. And the honey, it's, you know how thick honey is? After two weeks of being in a jar with garlic, 
The honey's thin and real liquid. Oh. And it, it keeps, it preserves the garlic. But after about a month, the clove of garlic is so hard and dried, you don't want to eat it. But huh. the honey tastes fantastic. Uh, and it's such a good throat soother. Well, that makes sense because sugar is yeah. hygroscopic. See, all this had garlic. Okay. And that's out. And I have new crops of beets coming on and, and carrots coming up. So, uh, so you're not going to plant garlic in this one again, right. correct? So the garlic's going to go in one of the other ones? Yeah, that had the cucumbers in it. All right. Yeah, and this will become my cucumber tunnel. Okay. And that tunnel next door will be my tomato tunnel. I rotate those crops. You know, a crop is going to take certain nutrients out of the soil, and it's that's one of the reasons why you want to um, rotate it, so that you're not exhausting the soil from that nutrient crop. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have so many beets in October. I did have garlic in here. I okay. Last year I put more garlic in the tunnels, so I'd have more garlic early. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to do the same up there. So with the tunnels, how, how much earlier do you get it than, uh, than without? Uh, five weeks. Five weeks? Mm-hmm. So you're just, you're, you're just starting to harvest outside? So... Yes. End of July, middle of July, end of July? for the outside stuff? Yeah, this inside garlic, I always harvest right around 4th of July and that that week. Okay. And the outside garlic, that's one of the reasons I have 12, 13, 12 varieties. There's an early, mid, and late. Okay. So I'm picking early, mid, and late. And then I'm trying to harvest the early garlic first and the mid second and okay. the late garlic last. What happens if you leave it in too long? Does it rot? Um, no. If it's good, healthy garlic, your bulbs are going to split up, your cloves are going to split apart. And let's say you don't harvest it. Um, it would die back in the winter. And then in the spring, it will be like a cluster of green shoots. Okay. And you won't get a good, full, big bulb. You'll get little bitty garlic, but you get a lot of uh, green scallions out of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Presumably, then there are there are actually garlic that is grown just for its greens. I would imagine then. You know, I do that um, with my littles or uh -huh. um, the thing the in. I'm going to plant a couple rows of little garlics real close together uh -huh. and have early scallions, garlic scallions to offer, and I find that um, is delicious. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, you're waiting. You want those big bulbs, and you know, there's no scapes. I'm even putting a hard neck in the tunnel so I have early scapes. I like them so much. Um, and I found, oh, when I did the Garlic Scape Festival, um, I did that, let me see, the second or third week of July, um, my second festival, I didn't have any scapes. And I was like, this is wrong. So I actually um, found if I plant garlic, a hard neck in a tunnel, I'm going to have early scapes. Oh, okay. So that was smart. There you go. You learn something uh, new all the time. That's that's how gardening desperation, is. Desperation is the mother of invention. Yeah. A friend of mine had planted my garlic in her tunnel, and she had a bunch of scapes, and she um, gave them all to me for the festival. Oh, nice. So I, I looked out. But now I'm thinking I just should have a full-on garlic festival at this farm. There you go. You know, scapes and garlic and combine the two, because a garlic scape festival was a little um, obscure. A little specific. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I honestly, I kind of have a hard time trusting people entirely if I find out that they don't like garlic. 
I know. I can't have people help here if they tell me they're allergic to garlic. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, it just causes me intestinal distress. I'm like, are you sure it's garlic? Okay, so... Yeah, so that's your clove, and it's protected by all that. So this is... We've cut a, you've cut a piece of garlic, cut the top off. Yes. Um, I didn't break any cloves off. I just cut, cut it... Um, yeah, just the top off. And, mm -hmm. this, and this tells you... This is how I'm going to measure whether that crop is ready. I look to see if each clove is well-defined and if there's some space in between it so that I could tell it would dry and peel up good. Okay. So that was my... See how the stem... Yep. Around the stem, there's a well-defined cloves next to it. And so is it only the hardnecks that really get the stem like that? Because I've never really seen a, a stem, like usually like the supermarket um, garlic, it's cloves all the way down. It's like this one. This yeah. is a soft neck Lourdes okay. Italian. And you can't see the stem formation yeah. close down. I gotcha. Um, and so that's your soft neck characteristic. I see. Mm-hmm. So do you, have a, do you have a position on... Oh, man. <laughs> Fresh oh, garlic good. is not like it's so the aromatic, old stuff. You yeah. know? It's so and it's not like it doesn't have that intense like bite, kind of like that hotness, you know. And and it's not that I don't mind the the hotness, but you know, a supermarket garlic, it it always feels like that's especially with the when it's real old, you know, like that's the only flavor that it has. And the really fresh stuff has so many more aromatics. It's so much more complex than than just like ah, garlic. Yes, for people who have never had a homegrown garlic, they're amazed. They come back and they tell me. It was the best garlic they've ever had in their life, and yeah. I, I agree. I and, know it. And the, the amazing thing is, like, you actually, you don't really need that much of it. You know, only a couple of cloves will, will do the work of a bunch of uh, supermarket cloves, except you want to add more because it never, like, no matter how much you add, it never overpowers it. I mean, well, I guess after, like, five or six Well, if you're hands, putting it then... on a good steak, it's not, it's going yeah. to complement what you're putting it with. Yeah. You so, know, even zucchini, it'll complement the zucchini. I don't think, I'm not sure what garlic doesn't go with, except maybe like chocolate. And I, I bet actually you could probably make a pretty good roasted garlic chocolate dessert. I've made a, a rhubarb cake with, uh, with um, a roasted garlic honey on top. Oh. But I seasoned that roasted garlic with um, cinnamon and cloves as well. Oh. And I drizzled that on top of a rhubarb cake, and it was outstanding. That I offered really that. Delicious. It was good. I was looking for those unusual garlic recipes uh -huh. and to try to, uh, you know, instead of just putting garlic and lemon and salad dressing all the time, you know, w what else could I do with it? Right. And then I found putting garlic and honey go excellent together. I'm pretty intrigued by that. I'll have to, I mean, it's, when you say that, it sounds, now it's just like, well, obviously, yeah. You know, it's pretty easy to imagine how they'd be delicious together. So I, I, I do want to ask you this before, um, before I turn the recorder off. I need to know, do you have a position on the, uh, the great garlic controversy of what to do with the little green shoot on the inside of the clove when they get old? Oh, eat those. Because, you know, there's some people that say you have to take it out because it's going to ruin the flavor. Huh. And there's some people that say leave it in. Personally, I've, I just leave it in. I've never noticed the difference. I've always left it in, and I look at if it's young growth and green, perhaps it has more enzymes. Yeah. And I think enzymes are good for your body. So I'm looking at it like that, if it sprouts. If it's sprouting, it's alive. If it's dried up and shriveled, then you discard it because then you'll have no flavor. I think it's mostly Italians that are into pulling it out, and they, they're kind of weird about food. 
about that. You know, a lot of people think garlic is Italian, but it's really Asian. Uh, it's from China and it's from Russia. Uh, there is an Italian strain, but that just could be generations of having it from those people, from Italians. Yeah. I love loves, it everywhere. Yes, that's true. That's true. You know, I'm Polish um, by my uh, grandparents, and there's um, some Polish strains of garlic that I started with just to kind of honor my grandparents. And yeah. my grandmother smelled of garlic all the time, and I, I didn't get it until I started cooking. You know, what was that smell in her hands? Yeah. But there's a garlic smell. Yeah. And now I, I feel um, like I understand that yeah. and I love that. Well for a long time the English the English were not into it until I think basically the 60s or something and they always used to make the, make fun of the French because they said the French smelled like garlic. Yes. And it's like well I mean having eaten English food and having eaten French food I know which side I come down on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Have you considered just selling um, cut open garlic like this is just like a soap you could just rub it all over yourself no or like a perfume what about garlic perfume yeah there you go <laughs> it belongs in every kitchen <laughs> who wouldn't want somebody to show up on a date with them you know smelling like garlic I want to do a kissing booth at my next festival <laughs> and and if nothing else just to hear people like you laugh and to think okay who's gonna be the person who, you know, how much garlic do you have to eat to man the kissing booth? Um, or you get to taste garlic and then you kiss somebody. But um, I just thought it was hilariously funny. All right. Whoa. <laughs> mm-hmm. I took Pretty a big intense. bite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to chase it with an edible flower. This little dianthus. Let's see what that tastes like. Check the Pantry is produced at KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's produced and hosted by Jeff Lockwood. Lori Jenkins was recorded at Synergy Gardens. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10 Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quatuor Ebain. This is the fifth episode of the summer 2019 season of Check the Pantry. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this.